you know, growing up, I was never one to really like put myself in front of the whole class to show something. I was very pretty reserved, I would say. Um, and that kind of carried over to middle school and a little bit into high school as well. That was filmmaker Joey Yee, a.k.a. Uncle Fuzz. I'm Jeff, and this is Storied San Francisco. Welcome to episode 14 of season 4 of our show. Uncle Fuzz caught my eye last year sometime. Being stuck inside so much, it was inspiring and uplifting to see his photos and videos of the city he was born and raised in. It was obvious right away that Joey loved San Francisco. And immediately, I wanted to know more about him. We met and recorded this podcast on a beautiful, warm May morning at Sutra Park. Here's Joey. Uh, my name is Joey Yi. Yes, it is. Um, I'm someone who was born and raised here in San Francisco. Um, and you may know me from uh, my video work that I've been doing over the past about year and a half. Uh, just all about the city and kind of how I perceive it, how I understand it to be, and you know all the ways I want to share it with like the people that love it too. I guess I can start off um, on my my grandparents' side, on my mom's side. Um, so my grandfather was born and raised in Isleton, California, which okay. is way off from the Bay Area. It's like as about three, maybe close to three, two or three hours from from San Francisco, all the way in the Delta where yeah. like Stockton and Sacramento are. Right. Um, but he grew up there um, with a family that was about nine people deep. Wow. Um, and like they, meaning siblings. He he grew up with his mom and dad and his seven sisters. Okay. Oh, was he the only boy? He was the only boy. Wow. Um, along with like a couple other people who lived, they all kind of shared the same house because, you know. In the 20s, there was like a lot of just you, you would keep a lot of family members in there along with like maybe some close friends as well. Mm-hmm. Um, he was born in 1926 uh, in Isleton, who which at the time did have a very large Asian population. Okay, which was like I think after the gold rush, we're going even further back, but that's fine. Yeah. Um, you know, after the gold rush, a lot of um, you know, Chinese immigrants ended up settling in a lot of different towns in California, mm-hmm. not only in San Francisco, but, you know, Isleton. Then there was also um, another town called Fiddletown. Fiddletown. Which is like, you know, a little bit, maybe uh, like about 45 minutes further in. Okay. Um, and that had like a majority Chinese population up until like the 1930s or so. Okay. Um, which you said was a town. Is it a ghost town? It's or? All, I think there are about 40 people left in there. Okay. Um, but I went there actually for my, my first wedding anniversary. We just decided to, to stay there awesome. um, without knowing like the, the history behind it. But mm-hmm. apparently the person that we stayed with also ran a museum which completely preserves uh, a medicine shop from the 1890s. <sighs> So and awesome. you, you can still go there. I'm pretty sure it's still open. Um, but, yeah, it's just one of the many things that, like, I guess one of the many artifacts that are still around from that era. Yeah. Um, which is pretty amazing. And is that a town that dates back to sort of post-Gold Rush? Yeah, I think wow. it was incorporated maybe in 1870s. Okay. Um, but, yeah. Anyway, back to Phil, or back to um, Isleton. Isleton and your grandfather. Yeah, he, he grew up there. He His family was a farm, or his family were farmers. Um, so he grew up on a farm helping his dad work um, until he was 18 when he joined the army okay. to go into World War II. Okay. Um, and he fought for America 
Was your grandfather um, born in the U.S.? He was. Okay, but maybe his parents... His parents immigrated here. I don't know what year. That's fine. Um, but he was born in Isleton, 1924. But but now he's 18 and he's, he's 18. joining the U.S. Army. Yeah. Um, and all the stories I have of him telling me about his experience in World War II was flying planes across the, the Pacific. He flew? Apparently. Like, okay, I, I can't get I can't find any actual proof. Like, right, you know, a pilot's license or a photo of him, like in actual cockpit. Yeah. Um, all the other, all most of the photos I have of him during his service were like, you know, him in the uniform with his his buddies, or him in the uniform, <laughs> awkwardly posing with a rifle. Yeah. Um, because like you know, all these eighteen year olds don't have never used a, a right. weapon before. Right. Right. Um, did he? Where did he go across he, the Pacific? He said he went to China and Japan, or okay. just like the east. Um, it's like East Asia. Okay. Was that his first time to go to China? I think it might have been. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, which is, which is crazy to think about. Yeah. But, you know, war ended. He came back to America, you know, came back to Isleton. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when he met my grandmother. Okay. Uh, I don't, I still need to get like the full story from her about how they eventually met because she was born in San Francisco. Oh, okay. Um, she grew up in the city and he was in Isleton. So I'm trying to think about how they could have met. Well, we'll have her on the podcast. <laughs> she's—I mean, I, I can ask her. She's yeah. she's still around, and awesome. like I'd, I'd love to interview her at some yeah. point just about even more history. But the the whole story of them meeting has to do with him gifting her several of the largest tomatoes she had ever seen oh, from their farm, wow. and that's like what kind of hit it off. I love there. it. She's like, yes, like if he can grow this, like think about what we could do for like a family or something. Wow, I love it. Um, but she is, she was, is born here. I, I believe so. Yes. Did you spend a lot of time with them? Is that yeah. So we spent, yeah. we, we spent a lot of time like with our grandparents. Mm-hmm. Um, we had seven cousins, the same generation as us. We we're mm-hmm. all within like the same age range almost. Mm-hmm. And so we all kind of learned how to grow up in a very American way. Mm. Um, because I guess I can go back to to my grandparents moving to San Francisco Mm -hmm. and he moved here in 1950 and bought the building that currently still stands over on Jackson Street Um, and that's kind of what set off this whole I don't want to say empire but like this whole like you know he he saw where he wanted to put his roots down and like build as strong of a family tree as possible Um, you know he he ended up having three three daughters. They all had two or three kids, so it's kind of like spread out since then. And we've all, as much as we've as we can, have stayed in the Bay Area. Yeah. Did he buy um, more than the, just that house? Did he, he buy did. multiple houses? There were there. I don't know how many are still around within the family, but right. Um, but he was somebody that I think everybody, his 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 daughters, his grandchildren all admired mm-hmm. for wanting to provide for for his family Fuck yeah I um you know having the foresight to say that okay when i'm gone i want to make sure that everybody in my lineage is set up and and taken care of um, that's just a different generation i know and it, and possibly i feel like um intersected with like an, an immigrant sort of mentality yeah, because right? obviously his parents you know came over he saw like the hard work that they had to do to run like the farm and like the i think there was like a dry clean business within that group mm-hmm. where my family members mm-hmm. um and it wasn't just his 
it wasn't just his kids and his grandchildren, but also his sisters. Because like I said before, he had seven, seven. siblings, yes. all girls. And he wanted to, to help them out as well because mm -hmm. he was the first one to move to San Francisco. Okay. And so when he did that, he allowed people to, like, he, he when he bought the building, basically, he didn't want it to ever be used as a rental. Okay. Like, he didn't buy it in order to make money. He bought it because he wanted his family to live there. Right. And so over the generations and over, like, the decades, multiple families and, and, and you know, aunts and uncles had passed through that house. Awesome. Like, I lived there for from, like, two years old to 10 years old like okay. my cousins have lived there my great aunt still lives there right um i was gonna ask did your how many of those seven great aunts came to san francisco they i believe they all did all at some them. point but now, nowadays they're they're like dispersed around the bay area yeah um but it's it's kind of crazy to see that like when i go to family gatherings to know that all seven of them set up families, set up roots in the Bay Area, right. and they're all able to con like convene at some point at, at, a, at a banquet hall, like 45, I was like just going to say the deep. dinners. The dinners have to be insane. The dinners, uh, I still don't know everyone's name. Right. I don't think I ever will, because yeah. I feel like they're always changing. Right. <laughs> like someone <laughs> I know as like, uh, you know, uh, say like Janet or something is now like someone else for some reason. Okay. Like, they're just I, I trying think, to trip you up. Yeah. yeah. It's just like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's always, like, the family is always growing. Yeah. Like, I, I've noticed that over the years. Um, Do they have a name? Like, obviously, every people have different last names, mm -hmm. but is there a name for, like, the, like, for those dinners? Like, the blank? The, I would say the Woon family dinner. Okay. Um, that's also actually another interesting thing, uh, my grandfather's last name. Mm -hmm. And it's spelled, according to his, like, birth certificate mm -hmm. um, and all the records that he has, it's spelled W-O-O-N-G. Yeah, not Wong. Which, if you know, is, yeah, it's it's a majority of Chinese people have the last name Wong. Yes. But he's, I feel like he's the only person that I've known personally that has that last name, so. Okay. The the only way I can I can really explain that is that at some point during the immigration process for his dad, there was... Maybe a mistake made, or right? A typo, or a, a typo, or just like oh, right put it like this so we get it. First, we're we're, we're like separated from the pack, or so, to give them an advantage. Who knows? Yeah. All I know is that it's it's a very unusual name for a Chinese person. Okay. Maybe I think Korean has something similar, but hmm. I always like pointing that out to people and saying like, I don't know exactly like how this happened, but that's there you go. Name. That's our that's, family name. Yeah, that's your that's the name your mom grew up with. Mm -hmm. I, I'm guessing. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay, so this building, I uh, and it's still in the family now. Yeah, it's it's currently still in the family. Okay, um, there are tenants in there, uh, people who aren't the family right now. Yeah. Um, Was your mom born and raised in that building? Yeah. So okay, all, her her and her two sisters lived on the top floor for about thirty years. Oh wow. Um, like bottom floor, like I said, was occupied by like cousins, aunts. Yeah. Um, and it's it stood there for a long time, and I really like that street that is on. Mm -hmm. um, I think some people ask me sometimes, like, where do I find the most nostalgia in the mm -hmm. city? And it's always been on that street, on awesome. that block. Um, because and which which street is it, and which block? So between? it's it's on Jackson Street between Leavenworth and Jones. Okay, and and that's a street that has a cable car running through it. Right. And it has a lot of, you know, three-story buildings right. towering over it. And so the, the reverberation from the the cable car line is kind of like this feeling. It, it gives me this, like, 
I think every time I go back there, there's like this very strong wave of nostalgia. Yeah. Because I, I hear that sound and like just immediately think about, you know, being in my room because I could hear it from like right outside my window. It transports you. Yeah, absolutely. Time wise. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, so your mom was born and raised and grew up in that, in that building. Yeah. Um, do you want to talk about your dad's Yeah, definitely. Let's, um, let's so, come out from that angle. <laughs> so, so his dad was actually, so, so my dad's dad, uh, my grandfather was an immigrant. He came to America. I think it was around 19, I think in the thirties, somewhere between the thirties and forties. I should okay. know this because I, I was just on ancestry.com this past month trying oh, to put wow. everything together. Yeah. So I was looking through a lot of old documents that was like, he's right there. Would you say pre-World War Two? Like yeah. maybe so just barely pre-World War Two. Okay. Um, and did he come alone? He came alone and then brought his, his wife over, I think a few years later. Okay. Um, and they they settled in Chinatown. Okay. And that's where my dad grew up. He grew up in the Pingyun Projects. Okay. Uh, if if you don't know them, they're like these gigantic, massive public housing units. I think there's about three of them. Three. I mean, like if you don't know them, you probably know them. You've probably seen them. Right. Um, they're like pretty iconic if you're just like walking down on uh, Stockton Street. Okay. You'll be able to turn a corner and there's gigantic apartment buildings mm. there. Um, I think I might know them. Yeah. And so he grew up there with... Uh, his brother, two brothers, two sisters. Okay. Um, and a L- little more equity between the yeah <laughs> boys and girls. <laughs> uh, and and I would say that his his upbringing was definitely a lot different from my mom's because right. he grew up you know not with not a lot of money. Okay. You know he grew up it basically what were the projects mm-hmm. um, for for most Chinese people. So mm-hmm. you know he was out doing things like selling illegal fire firecrackers with his buddies and you know kind of causing trouble yeah di- different but also fun sounds fun definitely fun yeah um but he but in that same sense he's he was a lot more ingrained to the social issues that mm. kind of plagued chinatown and right. a lot of like the poor housing in those areas during that time do you know when your dad uh, grew up or bo- was born and he grew was born up? in 1954 okay um so he was around for I, I think there was a very a very well-known housing crisis or issue yeah. in chinatown during the 70s i don't know if he yeah, was old the enough to, there, there was that but then there was also like but that was just one example yeah yeah so but i don't know if he was old enough at that time to be like an activist for anything he right. might have been like 13 or so right um, but you know, he was always around people that just ve- felt very strongly when it came to to where like Asians should live, like especially right. in Chinatown. Right. Um, but I guess I can I can kind of segue that into him meeting my mom. Yeah. Um, in the seventies, and then eventually moving out to the Richmond district. Okay. So they met at an ice skating rink. Okay. Um, I think. The day that they met, my mom had to cancel a blind date of some sort. Okay. Um, so she went alone, and they were both there at the same time, and they had to do the couple's skate. So they had, like, girls on one side, boys on one side. I think it was... I believe it was the girl's choice. Mm-hmm. Like, they get to pick, uh, they're, they're, they get to pick their single? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And, and that's how they met for the first time. Okay. Um, eventually, so they picked they, him out of a lineup. Yeah, I, I believe so. <laughs> yeah. 
you'll do. Uh, and afterwards, they, they ended up going on their first date, which my mom always likes to tell me that my dad showed up at their doorstep wearing like a bright yellow dress shirt and purple pants. Yes! Because obviously during the 70s, what else are you going to wear? Oh my, was it polyester? I, like, that I guarantee it, yeah. Amazing. Flared at the bottom, huge collar probably. Highly flammable, but man, did he look awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Did she, she must have dug it, right? I, I, she apparently tells, so, yeah. She tells the story. That's awesome. Um, but yeah, they, they dated for maybe like a good eight years or so before oh. getting married. Okay. They got married in 1983. Okay. Uh, in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And they eventually... Where, do you know where? I don't remember the name of the church, but it was on Balboa and okay. somewhere in the avenues. Okay. Um, and then eventually they, they got their first house actually out in Daly City. Okay. Um, when my sister was born in 1985, and then they moved back to the Jackson Street house uh, with my grandparents when I was born. Okay. Is your sister the, their firstborn? Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, and we, we ended up living there for close to 10 years okay. or so. And that's why you lived there from two. Yeah. Okay, so, got it. So I was, you know, I grew up basically, you know, in the middle of what you would normally call the city, quote unquote. Yeah. Uh, very urban, very dense. Yeah. Tall buildings everywhere. Uh, cable car lines going up and down every single, you know, every hour. Um, but eventually they they moved out to uh, the Richmond district. And that's when you were 10. I was, or... I was 12 at that point. Okay. Oh, wait, I'm missing a whole section where they actually owned a house out in the Richmond district before moving to Jackson Street. Sorry. Did they that's okay. Did they rent it out or Yeah, they ended they rented it out for those huh. th- those years and then when you know, they decided to move back, they renovated the home, um, made some additions and then we all moved back. Okay. I want before we get you into that house in the Richmond, mm-hmm. I want to hear more uh, just what it was like. I mean, obviously cable cars were just part of your life. Yeah. Swinson's was just part of your life, <laughs> but it's not part of everyone's life. What it was isn't. it? What was it like, especially looking back now? Even though I grew up there, I did not spend a whole lot of time exploring mm-hmm. the space. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt like my parents really enjoyed the city, but I think what they enjoyed more was going out of the city a lot. Mm. Um, you know, I always think back about like our, our what, what we did, what we used to do on our weekends. And a lot of the time it would be going to Oakland or going to Pleasanton or going mm. like very far away to these shopping malls to right. like just relax and like be able to have you know a lot of space. Mm-hmm. Kids can go wherever they want. Mm-hmm. Like mom and dad can go shopping for this and then we can all get in the car and go back home. Was it always places that were a little warmer than San Francisco? Yeah, it was, it was always warmer. <laughs> yeah. Like Vacaville. Oh, like we would be Vacaville there. is America. Yeah, it's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Uh, ha- have to have to go back to those outlet malls or oh, outlet yeah. stores soon. <laughs> totally. Um, so I, I wish I could say I had like these really strong memories of like walking down, you know, the the hills and like mm-hmm. riding the cable cars every day. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't. And, yeah. and I kind of... It's not that I can't say I regret it because, you know, I'm at the whim of like what my parents want to do most of the time. Right. Um, but I, it's, it's hard to say that, yeah, I have these like romantic memories uh, of that area. Got it. So every time when I go back, I try to make sure like I, I take it in as much as possible. Right. Like, um, this is where I grew up. Yeah. And here I am. Um, do you have 
we were talking about Giants games. Do you remember your first Giants game? Uh, I don't remember. I don't know if it was my first one, um, but it definitely is an early memory when I was mm-hmm. 10. Mm-hmm. Um, it was during the, the, the National League West clinching game against the Dodgers in 1997. Oh, yeah. Uh, I remember that. The, only, the, the main thing I remember from that game was sitting all the way in the bleachers because this is Candlestick where just extends into eternity yes, almost, it feels right. like enormous stadium. but seen from uh like high maybe like section i don't know remember the names but outfield all the way up near the nosebleed section but i could see the final pitch and just the entire wave of people just moving at once like because it was packed through probably like sixty four thousand people in there Jeez. Um, was this back when people, when the fans could rush the field after a game? I don't think it, so. I don't, so. So after that, I feel but, like I've only seen that in seen that in New York or something. Yeah, but they will stick around for those kinds of games. Like the game Definitely. will end, and then the crowd just doesn't yeah, move. They, they just, especially when it's a clinching game against, and against the Dodgers. The Dodgers, yeah, totally. Because I think the day before was was the walk off home run by Brian Johnson, mm. and so this was the day that they could you know win it all. Um, so that was like my biggest memory. We also, I was there with my uncle, and we also almost won the, uh, like the prizes. I think it was a signed bat by JT Snow. Oh shit! Because they, they were, it was the um, fan appreciation day okay. that day, and it was like a section next to us. And we were oh like, yeah, almost fuckers. So that might not have been your first game, but mm-hmm. what I never got to go to Candlestick yeah. to, to see the Giants. What was it like? It was cold yeah. most of the time, yeah. Because <laughs> you know it's 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 a big, huge bowl basically that any wind that gets caught in there just stays in there for nine innings. It circulates, and, um, yeah. which is which is why that when we would go, obviously it was during a time when they wouldn't fill it up every single day. I would think not. Uh, yeah. There was maybe like anywhere between twenty and thirty thousand people max mm-hmm. at, at any just normal game that's not a Dodger game. Mm-hmm. Um, so what would what we did was I would go with my dad, get tickets for the uh, the upper upper deck infield, and mm-hmm. then inning seven, eight, and nine we would just walk down to the to the lower deck because it was so empty at that point nobody right. really said anything. Right. Um, so one of the biggest memories I have from one of those games was I think it was the Giants Rangers game where it went to fifteen innings, mm-hmm. and so like after the ninth we were like let's just go down just watch the rest of it like really really close i think we Six were innings down there maybe behind home plate yes or like a little bit off to the side i yeah i, I have some of those memories of, of different stadiums of doing that and it kind of reminds me of like when you're a kid and you and you are able to easily sneak into the second movie after you your movie yeah, lets out definitely. you're like well no one's watching I nobody's might as well saying just... no yeah so i'm just gonna w- sit here and wait and the crazy value that you add to the like, yeah. the price of that because, seat because at like... the time those like upper deck tickets were maybe like between eight and ten dollars totally max and behind home plate is like hundreds yeah. of dollars per seat. That's amazing. Um, okay, can we talk for a little bit about schools that you went to? Sure. Yeah, so I went to, I guess we can start. I, f- I feel like anytime anyone ever asks you, where'd you go to school? It always defaults to high school. Right. Uh, Let's go chronological. Okay, yeah, sure. Um, so I went to elementary school at Sherman, um, which is over in the Marina District. Mm-hmm. Uh, it looks a lot different from when I went because now in the front yard there's just an entire garden that takes up maybe 90% of the mm. asphalt that we used to mm-hmm. play play on. Mm-hmm. 
That's a very good, like, that's what it was like then. Yeah. it was. And this is what schools are like now. You don't know what you're missing. A giant <laughs> concrete slab. <laughs> right. Oh. To, like, slide your body across <laughs> and hurt like hell. It would and actually like, also flood very, very seldom or very often when it right. was, like, hard. Because I think El Nino was happening probably the time I was there. Maybe, probably. like, 96, 97. Yeah. Um, so we had huge lakes that would just form wow. in the front. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm just imagining a lot of really dirty kids. Yeah, there were there were a few. <laughs> yeah. Were you one of them? I was not. I was okay. I was very quiet. Um, you know, growing up, I was never one to really like put myself in front of the whole class to show something. I was very pretty reserved, mm-hmm. I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of carried over into middle school and a little bit into high school as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, middle school, I went to Presidio mm-hmm. over, over in the Richmond. Okay. And then high school, I went to George Washington. Okay, just, uh, just right up the right up the hill from here. Presidio. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I was there, the the one thing that I ended up, the one class that I ended up taking was a video production class. Okay, and that was my first sort of introduction to just making videos and and my interest in editing and and making films. Do you, so that must have been an elective, right? So, yeah, it was an elective. Do you remember what like, it was about it that you're like, I want to take that? I don't really know. I mean, I grew up loving video games. Mm. Just anything sort of like visual on a screen. Mm-hmm. Like I love computer games, like console games. And I think part of me was like, I don't really like, you know, doing sports really or uh, painting or any sort of these physical electives. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was like give me something electronic that I can I can fiddle around with. Right. Did you like the storytelling aspect of video games? Not at the time. Okay, you didn't know it. I th- and I, th- not I think when it comes to video games, I'm somebody who has a very short attention span. Okay. So like it, it takes a lot for me to to play one of those like really long like RPGs or something. Right. I'm someone who wants to get in spend half an hour or so like doing something repetitive. Right. <laughs> and then it, and then leaving. Okay. Um, but, but when it comes to video production, like, yeah, I was, I think that sort of same mentality for games carried over to, to, to video. Okay. Um, cause I found out that I really loved editing. Okay. Um, which is not something that people really say when they first get into, uh, like videos and movies. Like, yeah, I want to, I want to be an editor. Yeah. Like it's everyone nice, says comment. they want to like be a producer or a director but the world needs editors. The world needs editors. The world needs sound so guys, too. I'm with you, man, 100%. <laughs> um, what was, so this was in high school, mm-hmm. so this would have been, like, early 2000s? This was, 2000, I think I took the class in 2003. Okay, okay. Yeah. And in within that class, did you is that where you figured out that you liked editing? Yeah, it okay. was. And so... Did they have you dabble in other things, like shooting and writing? Sort of yeah, so I, I think when when... At the beginning of the semester, every group of about four or five students, they're given projects, they're assigned projects that they can, um, that they're all sort of taking at the same time. Mm-hmm. So first couple months, everyone gets a project to do a silent film. Mm-hmm. Next one is everyone, everyone works on music video, mm-hmm. or then everyone works on like a narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think for, for my group, it was a lot of people who, you know, obviously are picking up a camera for the first time. Right. <laughs> so Amateur, it's like amateurs. Amateurs. I mean, I was an amateur at the time. Sure. Um, but it was just like a lot of a lot of disparate elements. Okay. That's a very different <laughs> like, way think, to say it. <laughs> I, I think what I really appreciate about my instructor was that he kind of saw 
some sort of you know spark inside of me mm -hmm. and so he helped me by like <laughs> i won't say he he like separated me from a lot of the other students but he kind of put me on projects by myself for a right. little bit to see right. like how i would um you know handle animation oh. like i remember one time he he allowed me to like make an animated movie like by myself oh shit fun um and it was like a stop motion thing and i'm oh. like this is how i like work i think that was my first real big project as far as editing goes mm -hmm. and and seeing how much i liked it kind of surprised me in a way but it also made sense because growing up i was very into building okay uh you know i love legos i love connects just any sort of thing that allowed me to to construct things yeah with, like obviously with my hands is different from on the computer the computer right right but but probably a similar you know function of your brain definitely because obviously when you put a film together you're you're piecing together like it's basically like a puzzle right and and that sort of thing just kind of clicked in my head like i just almost innately knew how to do it mm -hmm. um and did with, you like it i did yeah it was kind of like meditative mm -hmm. and, and that's why i always tell people when it comes to editing like you have to be the type of person who can who can really like kind of tune out the world mm -hmm. and just focus on on this one thing mm -hmm. this one story or this one like beat uh that you can you can get and it, it's it's super satisfying once you get it right that was joey Yi. on the next episode of storied san francisco joey will tell us all about life after high school part two drops this thursday Music for the podcast was produced, performed, and curated by Otis McDonald. Original photography is by Michelle Kilfeather. Aaron Lim of Bitch Talk Podcast is our contributing producer. And the show is produced and hosted by me, Jeff Hunt. Now in our fourth season, we have more than 150 episodes available on our website, storiedsf.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you can subscribe, rate, and review our show so we can reach even more folks. And if you'd like to drop us an old-fashioned email, we'd love that. The address is storiedsf at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, stay strong, stay healthy, and we'll see you next time. is a proud member of the BFF.FM podcast network. Learn more at podcast.bff.fm. BFF.FM, best frequencies forever.